around the world for that matter. We just got awesome people. And God's, God's using us and using you to do something significant. You realize that? Man, it's so cool to think that, you know, just beyond these walls of, of GVC, we're, we're impacting the world, right? And so, again, the Bible says this. It says that at the, at the coming of the Lord, the Bible says that the gospel will be preached to every creature or every person. And so we're living in a time and an age where that's happening like never before. So how many of you know that Jesus is coming real soon? I said, Jesus is coming real soon. Now, I don't know about you. For some, you might say, I just became a Christian, and I'm thinking, I don't want to necessarily go home to to be with the Lord real soon. I want to live a little bit of life. I want to experience this life. I want to have a little bit more fun with my family. Listen, you'll have the opportunity to spend eternity with your family, and the life that we'll live with Jesus is a whole lot better with this. You know, I can remember when I was a young man, I thought, you know, I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to just live the life. I just want to experience some good things and have some successes. But I've lived life long enough that I'm ready for Jesus to come. How about you? Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, I'm just ready to experience what Jesus truly came to give, and that's life with Him through eternity. It's not just a a good 80, uh, 90, 100 years to to experience this earth. It's to spend eternity with Him. And so, man, it's coming soon. Do you realize that? Come on. Uh, How many of you know that on September 28th, is what is called the last blood moon. Anybody following those kind of things? And just that in itself is just a sign of the time of Jesus' coming. And so there are things that are, that are right in front of our eyes that are the billboard and the advertisement to say, I'm coming soon. And so that means that there's a lot of work for us yet to do. How many of you want to be a people and be a city and be a church and, and, and be, be known as going out and just barely getting by? I want to go out, being, go out being champions. I want to go out being a success. I want to go out with a bang, don't you? Just knowing that, man, we made the biggest impact that we could and that our children are serving God, our families are serving God because of what God has put in us to do. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you will, turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 77, and I'll be, open up with a word of prayer as you're turning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to share your word. We thank you that at the word it brings light, and therefore we get to see like never before. God, we thank you that today we're seeing things about ourselves, about our church, about the future, that Lord just gets us excited for what we have the opportunity to do. So God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, as you heard there uh, with our special uh, Vanna White that gives us our announcements, she talked about the last series that we had called Selfie. And I don't know if you enjoyed that, but I enjoyed ministering that. It was a lot of fun. And just that topic of knowing who we are is something that really just stirs me up. And again, in that series, we talked about who we are in Christ and where the Scripture says, in Him, in whom, or in Christ, identifies who you and I are. And in the last three weeks, we talked about just this position that we had in Him. And we actually specifically talked about a place in which we are seated. And the Bible says that we're seated in, at the right hand of the Father with God in heavenly places far above. Everybody say, I'm far above. You're in a position that's far above. Now, many times we feel like the enemy's right close at hand, that he's knocking on our door, he's beating us up one side and down the other. We we feel like we're we're fighting a huge enemy, excuse me, or foe, but really he's defeated, and the Bible says that we're far above him. 
And so when we begin to have that in perspective or begin to uh, stir ourselves up in that thinking, it begins to give us confidence in what God's called us to do. And so as believers, we are seated in a position of authority, having the rights and privileges of Jesus himself. But we said this also, that when we're in Christ, we take a seat or a position in him. But in all reality whether after Christ or before Christ, you were seated or you were sitting down. So let me show you our position or those that are not in Christ, that have not received Christ, the position that they're in. In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 77, it says this. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says, you will tell his people, and this is speaking of Jesus speaking of what he came to do and what he'll say and what he'll accomplish. He says, You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because God's tender mercies, the morning light from heaven, is about to break us out or break, break upon us. Verse 79 says, To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Notice what it says. It says that before we received Christ, you were seated, and you were sitting in a place of darkness. So those that don't know Jesus, those that are apart from Him, those that have never received Christ, they are in a seated position, but the position that they're seated in is in darkness. Remember we said last week that we are in Him, and in Him is life. And He is the light of the world, so therefore we're seated in the light. We're seated having life. But this scripture right here tells us that those, or even ourselves, before Jesus were seated, seated or sitting in a place of darkness and a place that there was death, or really what it means is there was separation from God. So apart from Christ, there is no promise of life. And so those individuals that you know, people that don't, Go to church, and really going to church does not make you a Christian or a follower of Christ. No more, no more than you sitting in your garage saying, I'm a, I'm a SUV or I'm a Cadillac, right? Just being parked in a, in a, in a building doesn't mean that you're a car. No more do, the, than you being in a church says that you're a Christian. My point is this, is that before Jesus, we were all in darkness. And there are those that you and I both know that are still in a position and place of darkness, but you have the light on the inside of you. How many of you have ever noticed that your friends are attracted to you for whatever reason? Right? Uh, they're, they're drawn to you for whatever reason. You know, I've got a friend that I went to high school with, and so we're talking, in fact, we, we started being best friends back in second grade. So we've known each other probably closer to 40 years. Now, he's not serving God, and he's not walking with God. In fact, his whole family is so far from God. But there's this relationship that we have had through all these years, and even as I've become a pastor and as I've extended the invitation, and sometimes I've actually gotten pretty bold with him. Sometimes we've had some pretty bold conversations where I said, you know, well, what's the alternative? If you're not serving God, if you're not walking with God, what does that mean? And he doesn't have an answer for it, but obviously he's knowing what I'm implying, that you're separated from God, and so the, the, the end result isn't looking real good. And so therefore you've had some real bold conversations, but in the midst of that, the love and the relationship that we've had is still there because there's something on the inside of me that he's drawn to, that he sees, that he's not offended by, but there's light that is drawing him and saying, listen, I'm living in darkness 
and there's something about you, and man, I just want to just want to be around you, right? How many of you know that when it's dark outside, you know, my wife, she, she takes the dogs, dog out at night sometimes, and we've got this little flashlight, and uh, she never goes outside without that little flashlight. You know why? Because it's a whole lot more comforting when you're in the dark and you got light, <laughs> right? And so those individuals that you know that they're living in darkness, there's a comfort that you bring. They may not know why. They may not know what it is that's attracting. They may not even know what's different about you. Some of us here, we, we may say, I've just started walking with Jesus in the last little while, and I'm still new to this whole thing. I'm still trying to figure it out. I still don't know what's up and what's down, but I just know that I've received Christ. And you know that your friends are starting to take notice of some things that have taken place in your life. Again, they may not know what it is. They may not know what's changed, but there's a drawing. And so the Bible says this, that those that are apart from Christ are in a seated position and they're in darkness. Now, we also said this about us that are in Christ. We saw last week that the Bible says that this position that we're seated in really puts us in a position of royalty. And we saw last week that the Bible says that we are to rule and to reign in this life as kings. So you are royalty. And so therefore, in this life, we've got to have a different demeanor about ourselves. How many of you are real good at beating yourselves up? Anybody besides myself? I tell you what, I'm my, my own worst enemy. I mean, I can look in the mirror and, and really give myself a once-over. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, my wife, she can chew me up pretty good. And I'd be dragging my lip. But man, I can look in the mirror and I can beat myself up a whole lot better than she can. And then she's got to come back around and say, oh, come on, you're not that bad. Come on, she, she'll, she'll build me back up. But once again, we end up beating ourselves up so much because if we look at what we've done or where we failed, but the Bible tells us that you are royalty, you are kingship, and so therefore when you look in the mirror, you should begin to see yourself differently because of what Jesus has provided for us. But when you think about kingship, and many of the times when we talk about this subject of us ruling and reigning as kings, we... we, we, we Teach it from a standpoint of who we are and how that affects us personally. Because you realize that kings, uh, they live well, right? How many of you know that God takes good care of His kids? And if we're not being taken care of, then we've got to learn how, how to tap into the surplus of, of, our, of our daddy God. But more importantly, when we think about this ideal of a king, what is a good king or what does a king do? He rules or he leads people. And so really when we think about being kingship or reigning in this life as a king, God's really saying, listen, I want you to live well. I want you to be blessed as a child of God. But more than anything, I want you to learn how to lead people well. Amen? Every one of us have this opportunity to lead people. If you've got children, that's the greatest opportunity to be a leader. And I look at my kids, and sometimes I get frustrated because I look at the things that they're doing, and I think, and that's a byproduct of me, whether I'm frustrating them or whatever it might be. In fact, I was just reading this the other day. I was reading, just spent some time reading my Bible, and the Bible says this. It says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. And I stopped for a minute. I said, God, I said, where's, this, where's it talking about mom? Why is it talking about dad? And then I read a little bit later, and it said it a second time, Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. And I'm like, wow, that puts a lot of pressure on me, God. 
So in other words, once again, my opportunity to be a leader is to lead my own home. And so God is looking for us to lead individuals, and the greatest thing that He's looking for us to lead them into is a relationship with Him. And the Bible tells us this over in 2 Corinthians chapter 15. It says that upon receiving Christ, you're a new creation. But then it goes on to tell us that you are ambassadors for Him. You're an ambassador. You know what an ambassador is? It's a representative. You know there's an ambassador that's over in the Middle East. There's an ambassador that's over in Europe. There's an ambassador that's over in Australia. And they represent the United States of America, right? But everything that he does, he's got the backing of the President of the United States. And therefore, he's got all the privileges and he's got all the rights because he stands there in a position as an ambassador with the backing of the President. Well, you and I, upon receiving Christ, and once again, whether, whether it was just yesterday or maybe you've been walking with Jesus for the last 30 years, you are an ambassador to the moment you receive Christ. And therefore, you are a representation of who He is and people just begin to look to you because of what God's put in you. It's the light and it's the life. And so once again, we are ambassadors in this world and God expects us to begin to make a difference to begin to become those leaders, those individuals that would lead people to this life that's in Christ Jesus. In Matthew chapter 24, why don't you turn there if you can. In Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 13, once again, this is speaking of Jesus, and it's talking about what is taking place or what will take place through Him. But whatever Jesus did... We are to be just like Him because we are His ambassadors. So, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, it says, But the one who endures... Now, we just saw it speaking of Jesus, what He would do, but now it's speaking of you and I. But to the one who endures to the end will be saved. The end of what? The end of the age? The end of time? And we just said a little bit ago that the end of time is coming real soon. You realize that. Now, that's not to get scared about, but I'm simply saying that Jesus is coming very soon. We live in a, in a society that we've just gotten so calloused and so numb to the idea, but the reality is, is that Jesus is coming very soon, and the Bible tells us that He will come in our lifetime because of all the prophetic things that have taken place. You and I will see the coming of Jesus Christ. And He says this, He says, To the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. And then in verse 15, The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. And then right at the end of that verse it says this. It says, Reader, pay attention. So in other words, he says, there were some things that were spoken, and if you didn't know about it, Daniel is a very prophetic book that talks about the things that we'll see at the coming of the return of the Lord Jesus. And he says, now, reader, pay attention, because there's going to be things that you'll see to let you know that the time is at hand. And notice it says that the, the Word of, of God, the, 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 the gospel of the kingdom of God is going to be preached to the entire world, and then the end will come, and, and we're going to go home to be with the Lord. Listen, do you realize that one of the last people groups that are being reached is the Muslim and the Middle Eastern group of people? 
We're hearing stories all the time. We know missionaries that are over there. We, we, we know missionaries that are over there in Iraq right now. And they're saying that by the, by, 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 by the handfuls, people are coming and saying, I saw Jesus. Jesus came and, and spoke to me and told me what He came to do. He says they're having visitation with angels and angels are coming and telling them the good news of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how come that don't happen here? Because you've had the gospel preached to you day in and day out, every week through podcasts, through television, through radio, through church. We've heard the message, but there's still people groups that have not heard of Him and it's coming close to the end. And even Jesus Himself is showing up and by the hundreds, people are coming in the Middle East coming to know Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, we're, we're living in exciting times. And we say, where is, you know, if you've been around in church for any length of time, we, we talk about revival and when the church is awakening and where things are really going to be moving and shaking. We say, where is that here in the body of Christ? We don't see it, but it is happening within the body of Christ. It is, might be happening on the other side of the world, but it's still happening. You may say, well, why doesn't it happen here? I say, really, for the, the last several years, the Church of America has gotten fat and happy and lazy. You know what I'm talking about. We've gotten real happy with where we've been. We've gotten real content. We've gotten real distracted. But God's looking to reach people. And He's doing it at an alarming rate. And the signs of the time are upon us. And so here's what I want us to know. We're living in the last days. And everything that we're seeing, even the signs of nature are pointing that Jesus is coming soon. And God says, I want you to be individuals that will help lead people out of the darkness and help spread the message of the kingdom of God. Amen? Now, that being said, just to show you where people are at and just the where, where people's hearts are, there, this was back in 1999. I had done a survey. I was a, an associate at a, at, at a church. And uh, at that time, they would... Anybody remember the old fax machine? I don't know that they use them much anymore. But every day they would send brand new fax of prayer requests through the church national network. And so I would be the one that would get them, and then we would have church prayer. We would pray over all those prayer requests of things that have come in. And so I thought, you know what? I'm seeing some trends and some, some consistent patterns in the prayer requests that have come in. And so I started to log them and, and begin to trace as to what the pattern was in the prayer request. And so over a, a short period of time, <clears throat> I, I uh, uh, gathered 1,214 prayer requests, and then I began to log them in categories. The number one prayer request out of 1,214 prayer requests, 389 of them were for healing said, we're hurting, people are dying, people are sick. Will you pray? We need God's help. Well, did you know that the Bible says this in Acts chapter 10, verse 38? It says, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. How many of you know that sickness is not from God? I said, sickness is not from God. It comes from the enemy because he knows that if he can make his... God's people sick and defeated and discouraged and hurting, they're no good. And he'll also use this tactic of saying, well, God's in it. God uses these things to get our attention. Well, to say that is to say that God and the devil are partners. Right? Well, if God and the devil are partners, I don't know that I want to serve that God. 
No, the Bible says that Jesus came to set people free. Amen? I said God came to set people free. He's not in the business of making people sick. But this is one of the deceptions of the enemy, to get people off course. And this is his, his purpose and his plan, to get people uh, 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 distracted, to get them uh, deceived, just through lies of the enemy. In fact, uh, when we were at the church camp just this past summer, anybody remember going out there? We had a good time, several baptisms. But when we were out there, the guy that was in the very next campsite, he was going to a, a particular church that we were aware of. And one of the things that we got talking about is when he just kind of got his life straight with God. And he said, yeah, it was about four years ago that uh, I really got back serious with God. He said, God really got my attention. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, you know, uh, my previous wife, we had went to church. He said, but after the divorce, he said, I just kind of stopped going to church, stopped stopped serving God, just kind of doing my own thing. He said, but man, God really got my attention. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I got in an accident. And he said, man, God, I almost died. And he said, so I just said, God, all right, I'm sorry. I'll get things right. And so he started serving God again. Well, he was convinced that God did that for the sake of getting his attention. Now, I don't know about you, but once again, if that's the kind of God that we have, I don't want to serve that kind of God. The Bible says that He's our Heavenly Father. If He's our Father, then He's a good Father. Remember that song that we sing? He's a good, good Father. And I'm loved by Him. That's who I am. Now, me as a father, even though my children do some things wrong, even though my children do some things that that maybe I've told them not to do, I've told them don't touch the stove, it's hot, it will burn you, But do you think for a moment that I ever grabbed one of my child's hands and put it on the the, the fire, on the burner, and said, I just want to hurt you so I can teach you something. I'm trying to tell you about what this will do to you, but let me just hurt you so that you really know what I'm talking about. What father would ever do that? The father that would do that would be arrested for child abuse. God is not an abuser of His children. Amen. He's a good father. And so once again, the enemy has done a very good job to say God is hard, God is difficult, God will slap you upside the head. No, God is just looking to reach His people and He's looking to help them right where they're at. And as I said, this survey, it showed that, uh, what was the percentage? 32% of all the prayer requests were coming and saying, we're hurting, we're sick, we're dying. Jesus, heal us. They're crying out to know God. Then as I continue to do the survey, 193 of the prayer requests of the 1,200 were for salvation. So in other words, 16% were for people saying, I've got family, I've got friends that don't know Jesus. Will you pray for my unsaved loved one? Will you pray for my unsaved friend, the one that don't know Jesus? And then the last one that was at the very top was... 170 people, or 172 people, that said, I want to grow spiritually. I want to know God. There was 14% of them that said, I just want more of God. So when I put all those together, 32% really was saying, we're hurting and we want God to help. And roughly 30% of those people said, we just want more of God. We want God to show up. Now, why did I share that with you? Simply because people are hurting and people genuinely want God and people need God and people are saying, I want to know Him, but for whatever reason, we have found ourselves being hoodwinked by the enemy, finding ourselves living in a place of darkness when God says, I put you in a seat of light and life and it's a 
seat of goodness. It's a seat of mercy. It's a seat of my faithfulness. And as a result, God wants to use you to be the example to draw people to His faithfulness. And so once again, God has called us to be ambassadors. Now to share a little bit of a different twist to kind of bring some light to this, there is what we know as the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? And obviously there is the four Gospels that's right in the middle of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And the four Gospels tells us what Jesus had come to do through the death, the burial, and the resurrection. After the four Gospels are really the epistles that talks about what we have and who we are in Christ. But there's this first portion of the Bible that's called the Old Testament that was before Jesus. And it shares all these stories and it tells these, all these different examples of how God intervened on the behalf of mankind. And every story that we see, we, we look at it and we say, well, why, did, why is that significant? Why do we have all this, these stories of this one and that one? Why does it tell us the story of Noah? Why does it tell us the story of Jonah and the, the great fish? Why, why do we hear about uh, the children of Israel that got, got let go out of slavery? Because every single story is an example, and it's what we call a type and a shadow of Jesus. Every story in the Old Testament is an example that always points to Jesus that was coming. And one of the examples that I want to share with you is one of the examples that the children of Israel faced when, when they left Egypt. If you remember the story, the Bible says that they were in the wilderness and they came into a place of the desert where there was all kinds of serpents that began to bite them and people were dying. I mean, can you think about that? You're going out camping, and before you know it, man, there's snakes all over. You turn this way, you get bit. You wake up in the middle of the night, there's one laying right beside you. I mean, this is, this is bad news. And so the people started crying out to Moses, and Moses, we're dying, there's serpents all over. And so therefore Moses cried on the behalf of the people and says, God, what do you want us to do? Because your people are dying, your people are sick, and your people need help. And God said this to him. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a pole. I want you to make a brazen serpent and hang it upon the pole. And tell the people that everyone who looks upon the serpent on the pole, they will live and not die. The pole represents the cross. The serpent represents the sin that was upon Jesus that hung on the cross. As I said, it was a type and a shadow that was pointing to the deliverance and the freedom that Jesus would bring. But as the people began to look on it, we see that they began to get well. They began to get healed in their body. But let me just paint the scenario for you because we think, well, that would be real great and that would be real easy. But when you're sick and when you're hurting and there's a, a snake coiled around your ankle, how easy would it be to continue to look at that pole? It would be a little bit more challenging, wouldn't it? Or your kids are crying. And you're saying, kids, just look at the pole. Just look at Jesus. Just stay focused on Him. But they're crying, it hurts. And you're saying, no, just look at Jesus. And your friends are coming and they're saying, oh, I lost my baby. They died. And you're saying, just look at the pole. Everything that we'll face in life is going to be a challenge to keep our eyes focused on Jesus or there's always going to be the opportunity to be distracted. But the answer is in Him. 
And the enemy has done such a good job of distracting, of discouraging, of getting us overwhelmed, of getting us just so busy that it's hard to continue to look and stay focused on Him. And He said, there's the answer. And we're saying, God, it feels like we're going under. God, it feels like we're dying. God, it feels like there's no hope. I've got this one pulling on me. I've got this one pulling on me. And God, I just need help. And He says, just look at me. You see the distraction that's there for all of our lives. But remember I said right from the beginning that God has called us to be an ambassador. He's called us to be leaders. He's called us to be light in darkness. And the purpose of you and I is to help lead people to Jesus. To come to the place of the cross and receive forgiveness of sin. But go on to receive the goodness and the mercy and the faithfulness of God that He provided for you and I as believers. God wants us to know Him. And so, I said all that to get to the place of saying, God wants us to be those ambassadors. And as a church, we take opportune times to strategize and be those ambassadors. And so, next month begins our new series called, The Life You Always Wanted, or Live the Life You've Always Wanted. I don't care if it's you, if it's your family, if it's people that you know. Every person has a desire and a dream of what they want their life to be. And every single person says, there's got to be more. And so here's an opportunity for us to be leaders, to be ambassadors, to be light to those that are sitting in darkness and say, our church is starting to share and teach us how to live the life we always wanted. And I've heard you talk and I've heard you share your dreams. Why don't you come and just be a part of what we're doing? I'll take you to lunch. I'll take you for coffee. I'll take you to dinner. Whatever it is, if you've got to bribe them, I'll watch your kids. I'll come pick you up. Just taking the opportunity of getting them here so that they can begin to hear what it is and how it is to live the life that they always wanted. And you know that it first begins with Jesus. There was life for everyone that was bitten by a snake. Do you realize that the snake is coming? You remember in the Bible, the Bible tells us that the serpent or the devil was in the, the, the garden and he's the one that deceived Adam and Eve? Well, whenever you feel the pressure of life coming, you know that there's a serpent just around the corner poking and prodding at your life. If you look at your friends and you're looking at them being discouraged and defeated and hurting, there's a snake somewhere around and God says, you're the individual that's going to point them to the pole, the one that Jesus died upon and He came to give them life and life more abundantly. And so we have this opportunity to say, come and hear about how you can experience the life that you've always wanted. And I guarantee you there are going to be those that are going to begin to have a life transformation because of Jesus. I look around this place, even though many are gone today, I look around this place and I see many people's faces that are here as a result of individuals you know that invited you to church. There's some of you that are here that the story goes as though they invited you, invited you, invited you, and finally you said yes. And when you came here, all of a sudden you said, you know what, something happened. I like being here. I've heard story after story where people come up to me afterwards, and especially those people that are just new. They'll come up to me and say, you were ministering this morning, and you were ministering like you were, you were living in our house this week. 
Was that just because I'm such a good preacher? Is that because I'm just so crafty in the way that I minister? Is your friends giving me information so that I know how to just manipulate you? No. That is God talking to you, using a man, and you're coming to find a place where God wants to meet you, and you're thinking, dear God, how did he know? He read my mail. No, that was just God saying, I love you, and I've come that you might have a better life. And I guarantee you, when you invite people to come to church, they're going to have those same experiences. Say, I don't know what you did, but you told them. I didn't tell them a thing. You had to have told them. How did he know those things? No, it was just God. God loves getting in the mix of people's lives because he loves them that much. And so I want to encourage you. Invite people to church. I've shared this before concerning our last Easter campaign. We did it through social media, through Facebook, through texting. We sent out just a bunch of uh, uh, of invites to you guys just this past week of of our new graphic. Listen, send those out this week. Just send it to somebody. If you're afraid to invite a whole bunch, just invite one. But here's the one thing that I want to encourage you. It's not just a one-hit wonder. It's not just starting next week, and next week is the the week to invite somebody. We're doing it for the whole month. So keep inviting. Now, don't take the other side where you say, okay, well, i got four weeks to do it, so I don't have to worry about next week, but maybe the week after. No, let's be proactive. Now, why am I saying this? Because God has called us to be light in the darkness. What makes my heart beat, what makes my, 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 my... adrenaline flow is to see people's lives changed. That's why we do what we do. I worked for GM before this, and my paycheck was more consistent, and it was a whole lot more than what I make as a pastor. And so if it was just mere money, I'd have stayed there. But it's about people. That's why we do what we do. So I encourage you, just be a part of the process. Be a part of the outreach. Amen? The second thing that you'll hear us be talking about here in the next few days, and I think we've already talked about it, is that in the next few weeks or in the next upcoming weeks, and actually it starts October 5th, is going to begin our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now you may say, what does that mean? What does that mean, prayer and fasting? I've never fasted before. Well, the Bible speaks of fasting, and what it does is it really just purpose, it causes us to purpose to get quiet within ourselves Set time aside to be with God. And there's some strategic reasons why we do 21 days, but before I get into that, I just want to talk a little bit more about that fasting side and what it means and what it looks like. Do you realize that your flesh has a very strong voice? You ever notice that? I'm going to go on a diet, and I'm not going to eat anything that's bad for me. And the moment you say, I'm going to do that, man, you start craving every Twinkie, every cupcake, every, you start digging through the cabinets, and, you've, uh, and, and you found the Twinkie that's five years old, but you know what? By God, I'm going to eat that sucker, you know, because I, I want something sweet. You know what I'm talking about. When you say, I'm going to do something or make the choice to do something, your flesh starts talking, right? I'm going to start working out. You wake up in the morning and say, today's the day I'm going to work out. Get through the day a little bit, and you say, well, maybe tomorrow. I'll, I'll start tomorrow, Right? The flesh has a voice, 
but the real you, the spirit man on the inside. God wants that voice to be the strongest voice and for us to be able to hear His voice. We don't hear God and we don't follow God through the flesh, but we do it through the inward man, our spirit man. And God says, I want that man to become strong. Oftentimes we feed the natural man and the natural man, the physical body is so strong and has such a loud voice. Your spirit says, I want to serve God. And your flesh says, shut up. I want to go to church. Shut up. You want to sleep in. Right? And so God wants us to develop that inward man. And He wants us to come to know Him. Remember I said in those those percentages of prayer requests, 30% of people said, we just want to know God. We genuinely want to know God. We want to grow in in our relationship with Him. But the flesh will fight you all along the way. So taking this time of 21 days of prayer and fasting, it allows us to say, you know what? I'm going to be disciplined for three weeks. I'm going to set time aside. Whether you you fast a lunch, whether you fast all cold turkey and just don't eat it all for 21 days, I mean, that's on you. And again, there's some significance as to why you would... Set food aside because, again, it's the craving of the flesh that you're trying to quiet down. But it's not just a matter of saying, well, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to do this. But in replace of what you would do, maybe it's watching television. You say, you know what, the last three hours of my night, all I do is sit in front of the television and just become a couch potato. Well, why don't you turn the TV off and say, take an hour of that, a half hour of that, and spend some time reading your Bible, talking with God, and watch what happens when you set time aside to feed your inward man rather than your flesh man and see how real God becomes. Now, why 21 days? Why is 21 days significant? I'm going to share some things with you in, in in a real brief nutshell. But there is studies from a neurological point of view, and science always backs up what God says He will do. But from a neurological, there's a doctor called uh, Dr. Leaf. Uh, uh, She's a Christian woman, and she studies all these things concerning all the, the brain activity and all the things that go on in your head. And here's some things that she said. She said, you can build a short term memory or a temporary memory. And she says, as you begin to bring up a memory or learn something, she says, immediately proteins start to take place and develop in your brain. And she said, but if you just learn something on a quick spur of the moment or just in short-term memory, if you don't do anything with that memory, that thought, that learned process, she said, within three days it will disappear or the proteins that started to develop in your brain will disappear. But she said this, she said, as you begin to purpose to develop that, it will take time. And here's what she said. If you'll purpose to do something for 21 days and for at least 7 minutes a day, you will begin to develop a long-term memory. She said this. She said, on the third day of you purposing to develop or learn something. So let's just put it this way. For 21 days, you're going to spend time reading your Bible and talking with God. Your spirit and your mind and your brain work together. And she said this, on the third day, this is proven science, on the third day, she says there's a little bump that shows up. And she said it begins to create a memory. And she says as you continue to feed at least seven minutes a day through that process of time, she said that little bump turns into a mushroom. And then that little mushroom turns into a tree. And it's all on the network of your brain. 
can't talk or tell it like she does. Just watch the video. It was awesome. But she says this, this process starts to take place. And then she says there's these things that are called nanopoodles. She says it, they actually look like poodles. And she says, through the network of your brain, as you purpose to learn and study and meditate for seven minutes a day. Once again, let's say it's the Word of God. Let's say it's prayer. You're spending time with God. She said these nano poodles start to go throughout the network and the highways of your brain and start to uh, deposit proteins. And therefore, it becomes a long-term memory. And then she said, after the 21 days, you have taken a short-term memory and made it a part of your memory bank. And then she said, if you'll take that memory and what you purpose to learn and continue that process for the next 42 days, you will create an automatic behavior. So when you think about that, just the intentionality that we have to learn, to grow, to mature, to really be men and women of God that know and can experience Him on a real tangible level, we never give God a shot. Because we try it for a day and a half and say, well, God, where are you at? God, it don't seem real. God, I can't understand your Bible. It just seems like it's Greek to me. Right? But if we'll purpose to give ourselves time, there are things that become automatic behaviors. And let me give you an example. There are people that if they were to stub their toe right now, go home, stub their toe, a curse word would come out of their mouth. I'm not saying that for the sake of picking on anybody. My point is, is that the reason that a curse word would come out of your mouth is because it has become part of your thought life. It's become part of the habit, and it's just automatic, right? Again, I'm not being critical. I'm just saying you stub your toe, and all of a sudden you curse. Why? Because it becomes automatic. Everything about our life becomes automatic. Have you ever driven a car and had to think, okay, I'm going over the yellow line. I better steer back into this. Oh, I see yellow brake, or I see red brake lights. I better step on the brake. No, you've done it so much. You've created the pattern that it becomes automatic to you, right? So therefore, we can begin to learn and begin to develop a relationship with God that becomes automatic. And as we purpose to take time, these 21 days, we can stir up our heart toward God, a relationship with God, that it becomes automatic. That it's not a, well, I hope God shows up. It's not, I mean, I know God shows up because when I talk to Him, man, He is real. I hear His voice. I know His voice. And when we talk, it's not the talk of, of the junk around the world, but it's the, or excuse me, it's, it's the faith that we have in God's Word. God, I read in your Bible the other day, and therefore you're faithful. And I know that you're the God that you said you are. So there's some great intentionality by taking these 21 days to have prayer and fasting in our lives so that we can begin to grow in this relationship with Him and that things become automatic. Does that make sense? And then the last thing that I'll share with you is this. We talked about the Wednesday night services that we're going to begin. It's going to be, begin on October 7th. You'll see there it's still under construction because we're still working all the details out for you. But here's the point and the reason that we're doing that is because we realize that just Sunday morning is not enough. You realize that Sunday morning you can leave church thinking, man, I'm swinging from the chandeliers. I am just on top of the world. And then Monday hits and all hell breaks loose. And then it's a whole other week before you can go get charged up or get built up. And so Wednesday is just an opportunity for us to come back into a position and a place where we're 
giving ourselves to sit down, be quiet, and say, God, I just want to hear you. I want to be taught. I want to have the fellowship of my church, and I want to grow in you. You have a hunger on the inside of you that you really don't even know you have. Do you remember the disciples? When Jesus was raised from the dead, He was walking with them, and the Bible says that they didn't even recognize Him. But just in the midst of the conversation, as Jesus was talking to them, and all of a sudden the Bible says that Jesus disappeared, and all of a sudden their understanding was enlightened, and they said, that was Jesus. We didn't even recognize Him. But the one disciple said to the other, he says, but my heart, something on the inside of me, it just burnt within me. What was he saying? When I was walking with Jesus, when I was hanging out with Him, just something on the inside was going off. It felt good. It felt right. And so there's something going on on the inside of you that wants to know God. Does it take a discipline? Sure. Is the enemy going to try to bring distractions, bring discouragements, bring busyness of life? Oh, yeah. You'll have to be disciplined to say, I'm going to set Wednesday night aside. You have to set Sunday morning aside. You have to set the alarm clock. You have to make the intentionality to do so. But God is faithful. And as a result, we'll begin to grow and experience God's goodness like never before. We'll experience the faithfulness of God. And if you don't know it by now, the Bible expects us to live by faith. Or I should say God expects us to live by faith. As we grow in knowing Him, this walk of faith gets easier and easier to where we just trust Him. It's not a matter of wondering whether He'll show up. It's not a matter of wondering whether He'll answer my prayer. We just know He's faithful. Amen. Let's stand. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to pray for you as we dismiss this morning. Because as you're hearing these things and just some of the upcoming things that we're looking to do, and I realize you're you're having the opportunity to say, well, that puts pressure on me. That means I've got to do something. Well, God's a gentleman and He'll never pressure you to do anything. He's not going to force you to come to church. He's not going to force you to invite somebody to church. He's not going to force you to pray or read your Bible. But you'll sense a gentle pull and a gentle tug on the inside that says, come spend time with me. Come to church. When you have that conversation with somebody, you'll begin to feel that pull on the inside that says, invite them. Invite them. You might be fearful. You might say, well, what will they think of me? I would rather that somebody be saved from eternity in hell than worrying about what they would think of me. Because heaven and hell is real. And you can ask people all day long, Will you go to heaven? And they'll say, oh yeah, I'm a good person. But the Bible doesn't say that good people go to heaven. You'd ask them, are you, are you sure that you would make it? And they'd say, well, I hope so or I think so. Hoping and thinking doesn't get anybody there. It's only through receiving Christ 
making him the Lord of your life that assures eternity with him. God has given us such a great privilege of bringing people out of darkness into the light. And he wants you to know just how special you are. You're an ambassador. You're a king. You're a leader. And God will back you up. He'll never leave you abandoned, never leave you alone. He's always with you. Let's just pray. And worship God one last time before we leave. Dear Heavenly Father, You said in Your Word, Pray the Lord of the harvest, for the laborers are few, but the harvest is ready. So God, we pray for every individual in this place that they would see the role and the position that they have and the joy that they have to be able to invite people to church and to introduce them to you. Lord, I thank you for those individuals that we're meeting and that we're going to invite and that you're speaking to their hearts and that they're receptive to the message of the gospel. God, we thank you for what you're going to do in this church, that you're building this church, that we're impacting this community and the darkness is growing more dim because the light is growing brighter. God, we thank you that we're having a greater desire to know you than we ever have before and that we'll put what we need to, the time, the effort, the discipline to come to know you in a better way.